Thank you, my brother. Man, great job as always. I love that song. Uh, what a blessing it is to know that whatever may come to pass in our lives, if you're a child of God, you can say it is well with your soul. Amen. You have hope in Jesus. You have hope. Um, that he is going to be with you no matter what. So I'm so very thankful for that. Take your Bibles, please, this evening, and turn with me over to 1 Peter chapter number 5. Man, I couldn't wait uh, to get here tonight and share with you what the Lord has shared with me. Have you ever had one of those days when, uh, man, it just seems as though God just uh, camps out with you and, and, he's, and he's, uh, uh, he speaks to your heart, he, he, he gives you just exactly what you need, when you need it. Well, today's been one of those days for me. And uh, man, I'm so thankful for it. I'm so thankful that when you have a relationship with Jesus, not only do I talk to him, but he also speaks to me. And he speaks to us uh, in many different ways, uh, through other people from time to time, through circumstances and situations, certainly through the written text, the word of God, and man, how powerful that is. Uh, but the Bible also says he speaks to us in a still small voice, and he gives us direction when we need it. And man, I'm so thankful uh, for all the Lord does in my life, um, and uh, what a blessing it is to serve Him, to know Him, uh, to be a part of His family. Now, last week, if you remembered in First Peter, how many of you have enjoyed the book of First Peter? I don't know about you, but for me, again, this is the first time I've ever preached through the book of First Peter, and this has been such a great blessing to my life. I hope it has been uh, to yours as well. Um, but I've liked it so much. I think what we're probably going to do is go right on through Second Peter. So we're just going to stick with this, and we're going to go chapter by chapter, verse by ver verse, straight through uh, the, the second book of Peter. And so but please be in prayer for that. And, and we also always want to allow the Lord to lead God and direct in every way. So you pray uh, that the Lord would have his way and will and, and that God would uh, show us just exactly what we need to see uh, from his precious word. But tonight we're going to pretty much finish up with First Peter and then... Uh, not next week, but the week following when we get back from Cuba, we'll begin Second Peter. So please be praying about that. But last week, if you remember, in First Peter chapter 5, we looked at verses 1 through 4. And I entitled that message last week, The Shepherd and His Sheep. And we found out in those four verses that the elder, the spiritual leader, or the pastor, is to be the shepherd, the under-shepherd, of the flock, Jesus being the good shepherd, the pastor being the under shepherd, and the pastor is called to feed the flock. And we looked at what all that means for the pastor, and we also looked at what all that means for the church. And basically, what that means is as your pastor follows Jesus, you ought to follow your pastor. Now, if there ever comes a time when your pastor is not following Jesus, then you need to quit following your pastor. If there ever comes a time in my ministry that I lose my mind some way and I get liberal concerning my theology and I start um, not standing on the absolute truth, the standard of the Word of God and preaching to you what thus says the Lord, then you need to run me out of here on a rail. Because what you need above everything else is clear direction from the Word of God as to who God is and what God wants for His church. Can you say amen to that? I mean, the only thing we know about Yahweh God, the God of heaven and earth, the only thing we know about him is what he's told us in his scriptures. Can you say amen to that? So if we're going to get a hold of who God is, if we're going to know who God is and really who we are and how much we need him, it has to be according to uh, 
uh, the precious word of God. So, brothers and sisters, if there ever comes a time when your pastor is not following Jesus, and let me ask you then, how, how do you know whether or not your pastor's following Jesus? Absolutely, but according to the standard of the word of God. And that's one thing I'm so very thankful for as, you, as your pastor. I, when I first came here, almost eight years ago now, um, I asked the deacons then, I said, look, as long as I preach the word of God, as long as I'm doing what scripture says that uh, I ought to do and we ought to do as a church body, then all I'm asking is, is that you support me. And I'm going to tell you something. Every step of the way, your deacons have done that. Every step of the way, they have, they have supported me, they've prayed for me, they've held me up, they've encouraged me, and I'm so very thankful um, that, that that is the case. Because how many know that's not always the case in every church? I've, I've actually heard some horror stories uh, just this past week from a pastor friend of mine of what's going on at his church. And, and so it makes you thankful when you've got people who support you. And, and so they're doing what God's Word says. As long as I follow Jesus, uh, th then the church ought to follow me. But if there ever comes a time when me or any pastor is not following Jesus, you no longer need that pastor. If there ever comes a time with me or any pastor that they're not standing on the absolute truth of the word of God and preaching it as the standard for how we are to live godly lives, for how we are to first of all know God, uh, to, to begin our godly living. If, if there ever comes a question in that, then folks, you need another pastor. So I'm just saying, um, as long as your pastor is following after Jesus, you are to follow after him according to 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. Now tonight, we're going to move on from that. And tonight, I want to give you some direction for the dark days that we live in. How many of you believe that we live in dark days in the world that we live in today? I don't think you've got to look for it to see that, do you? I mean, just turn on your news in the evening or read your morning paper or go to work tomorrow. Step outside your door and go to the grocery store. You're going to see that we live in some dark times and some very dark days. And I believe we live in dark days for we are living in the last days. I believe we're living in the last of the last days. Let me tell you why I say that. Keep your place there in the book of First Peter chapter 5 and turn with me to the book of Second Timothy. And, I don't, or, and, and you don't have to turn there if you don't choose to, but brother, if you will, please put this on the screen for me. 2 Timothy, and I want us to look at the first seven verses of chapter number three. Listen how Paul tells Timothy. He says, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, Without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures, more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof, from such turn away, for of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with diverse lusts, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now Paul gives Timothy 17 different things here to look for to see whether or not we're living in the last days. In the last days, you're going to see all this. And I'm going to tell you something. I don't, I'm not going to go through all this tonight for lack of time. That's a different message for a different day, and I hope the Lord allows me to preach that soon. But in these 17 different things that, 
that Paul gives, these 17 different characteristics of last day living, um, he, he, he lays it out plain for what it's going to look like. And I can promise you, you can take the newspaper in one hand and the Bible in the other hand and see exactly every one of these 17 things in the, in the, uh, in the headlines of your newspapers right now today. And so I believe, according to the authority of the Word of God, that we certainly are living in the last days. And in the last days, there are going to be some perilous times, some dark days. And so what we need as the people of God above everything else is some direction from God's precious Word. If you believe it, say amen. We need to know how to navigate through the dark world we live in. We need to know how to survive these perilous times that uh, we are in the midst of right now. You say, well, brothers, don't you think that Peter believed that um, they were in the last days? Absolutely did. If you remember in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse number 7, Peter said the end of all things is at hand. You remember us talking about that? Paul said many times throughout his writings that he believed he was living in the last days. We just read one of them in there in 2 Timothy chapter 3. So these brothers absolutely believed they were in the last days because they believed something we need to believe. They believed in the imminent return of Jesus. Can you say amen? Now what does that mean? That just simply means that Christ can come back to rapture his church at any moment. How many of you know nothing else has to happen for Jesus to rapture his church? Nothing else. We do believe in the imminent return of Christ. And if Peter saw it in his days and Paul saw it in his day, evidence of the last days, how much closer are we now than when they wrote those things? We're a whole lot closer. At least 2,000 years closer. So we need some direction from the Word of God. And that's exactly what Peter gives us right here starting in verse number 5. Let's read verses 5 through 11. Then we'll come back and I'll give you four main points tonight and I'll be done. He says, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with. Everybody say clothed with. And be clothed with humility. I love this verse. For God resisteth the proud and gives grace to the humble. God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Then he says this, watch. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. God, I love it. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect. Then he says this, establish, strengthen, and settle you. How many of you know that God is in the establishing business? And the strengthening business? And the settling business? He establishes that which needs to be established according to his purpose, his plan. He strengthens those who are weak and he settles those who are anxious. How does he do it? He told us right there in the first part 
by His grace. For He is the God of all grace. Wow. Then He says this, verse 11, To Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. Thank you, Lord, for loving us. Lord, I'm asking tonight that you would give us direction for the dark days we live in. Show us what your word is saying by your power, Holy Spirit. I can do nothing in and of myself. Lord, I'm praying that you move me out of the way, you fill me up, use me, and pour me out in the lives of these people. Lord, I pray that you be glorified, that Satan be horrified, and the church would stand and testify as to how good you are in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, he gives us four things here, maybe more than that, but I see at least four things in verses 5 through verse number 11. And the first one comes in verse number 5. He says that if we're going to be able to navigate through the dark days that we live in, the first thing that we have to have is a submissive spirit. A spirit of submission. Listen to what it says there in verse number 5. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another. you got to have a submissive spirit. And I know what some of you might be thinking. Most of the time when you hear anybody talk about submission, uh, when they're preaching from the New Testament in a New Testament Bible-believing church, most of the time what's being mentioned is the submission of a wife to her husband. And it's true that a wife is to submit to her husband as the spiritual head of the household as long as that husband is following after Jesus. There's truth in that. And it's true that a wife should do that. Peter said that in 1 Peter chapter 2. We'll look at it in just a moment. But how many of you know, not only is it true for the wife that she's supposed to submit to the husband, but it's true for all of us that we are to submit one to another. And if we're going to be what God wants us to be, we have to have a spirit of submission. Now let me ask you something. What is submission? I think we have to answer that if we're ever going to get really what Peter is saying here. When we talk about submission, a lot of people have the wrong idea of what that means. Submission is not that you are in any way inferior to someone else. Matter of fact, you may be superior Two people in a lot of different areas. But the Bible says, nonetheless, that we are to be in submission one to another. Now, uh, you remember me talking about this when we're talking about the submission of a wife to a husband. And, and, and if you remember, I said that a wife in many areas in her life may be superior to her husband, but God has set it up the way he has set it up for his purpose to accomplish his plan. Can you say amen? And God has said that the wife ought to submit to the husband as the head of the household. Now listen to me. It's not that the wife is in any way inferior to the husband. Again, she may be superior in a lot of ways. It's not that at all. I want you to understand the same is true for when we submit one to another. It's not that I'm in any way inferior to you or you are superior to me. It's not that you are superior to me or I am inferior to you. Or vice versa between anyone else. That's not what submission is. Let me give you the best definition of submission that I've ever saw. This makes so much sense. It means that one equal voluntarily places himself or herself under another equal. Listen to me now. That God may be glorified. That God may be glorified. That God may be glorified. Why do we submit one to another? 
We submit one to another so that God might be glorified. Let me tell you how that works. Let me give you this little illustration of what that looks like. Uh, just last Sunday evening, some of our ladies were downstairs, and man, we had a great time Sunday night. Praise God for all of you who came and all the ones that you invited. We had a house full and a yard full, and God was glorified. We fellowshiped one with another, and it was fantastic. I loved it. It was awesome. Thank you for being here. But while we were here last Sunday evening, I walked into our ladies who was back there preparing the food, getting ready for all of us to eat. And, and I, I, I submitted myself to them. I came in and I said, ladies, y'all tell me when y'all get ready. When y'all get ready, then we're going to eat. Let me tell you why I did that. Because I don't know nothing about getting things ready for, for eating. That, that's not my area. That's not my thing. I don't know what they had to do, what they needed to do, what must be done so that everybody could get what they needed and God could ultimately be glorified. So what I did was, I didn't come in and say, let's eat, whether they were ready or not. Let me tell you why. Because I'm not a Lord over anybody. Amen. Remember us learning about that last week? I'm not, I'm not to lord over people. I came in with submission knowing that in that area, they knew a whole lot more than I knew. Amen. So if God's going to be glorified, I must put myself under submission to them. And the same is true in a lot of areas. Just like with Brother Scotty, that brother knows what he's doing when it comes to leading worship. And I believe that God has placed him in that position. I believe God is using him to bring glory unto himself. To glorify God and to edify the church. God is using that brother. And I'm going to tell you, I don't know nothing about leading worship. So let me tell you what I do when it comes to the time of worship. Sometimes I make suggestions or things that the Lord's laid upon my heart that I tell him. But ultimately I say, hey man, you know what God's put on your heart? Go with it. I submit to him in that area. Let me tell you why. Because that's the area that God uses him in. That God has gifted him in. So we submit one to the other. Can you say amen? That's how this has to work. One equal voluntarily placing himself or herself under the authority of another equal for what purpose? So that God might be glorified. Isn't that what we all want? That's what I want. So that's why we submit one to another. And those are just a couple of examples. I could give you many more. Peter talks a whole lot about submission Throughout 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse number 13, I'm going to flip back and read that just a moment. It says, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. What's an ordinance of man? What does an ordinance mean? It's a law. So what's Peter saying? As Christians, as people of God, we are to be in, in submission to the laws of the land. So if the speed limit says 55, I need to be doing everything I can to drive 55. I must quote Sammy Hagar. Sammy Hagar says, I can't drive 55, and it's difficult for me. So I need a little bit of growth in that area from time to time. I'm just saying, though, as a man of God, I ought to be submitting to the laws of the land, even those things that maybe sometimes we don't necessarily agree with totally. We still submit so that our witness will not be ruined. Can you say amen? Now, when does that stop? That stops when the laws of men contradict the laws of God. How do you know the law of God always supersedes the law of man? And, and, and my Savior is Jesus. My Master is Jesus. 
My Lord is Jesus. So as long as Jesus is being pleased, listen, I am doing what God wants me to do. If I choose to obey a law that is in contradiction to what Jesus says in his word, then guess what? Jesus ain't going to be pleased anymore. So I'm not going to perform that law. But as much as possible, we are to submit ourselves to authority. The authority that God has placed over us. Amen. How do I know this? Because that's exactly what happened all throughout the New Testament. There came a time when Paul, being a good citizen of Rome, could no longer submit to the authority of Rome when they told him to quit preaching the gospel. Let me tell you why. Because Jesus told him to preach the gospel. Now, ultimately, it cost him his life, but it's worth it. Let me tell you what I believe. A man is never truly ready to live until he has something that he's willing to die for. That's not from the scripture. That's from Braveheart. There's a lot of truth in it. A lot of truth in it. So we are to submit to the authority of the land, the authority that God's placed over us, the laws of the land, the ordinance that man has made. But we also are to submit, the Bible says, 1 Peter 2, 18, if you remember, we're to submit uh, as servants to masters. Now, that would line up perfectly today with employees and employers. As an employee, I'm to be in submission to my employer. Now, what does that look like? I'm to be a good employee. I'm to show them respect with what I say and with what I do. I am to work at what I'm working at as unto the Lord, not as a man pleaser. You know, one of the greatest ministries we can have as believers is just being good employees. When people see you working hard with a good attitude, doing your job as unto the Lord, I can promise you that says something to them because you don't see it much today. You don't see somebody with a good work ethic. I, I told my boss one time, I said, brother, I'm going to be the best sign man I can possibly be in the state of Alabama. I ain't going to let nobody outdo me as far as a sign man in the state of Alabama. You tell, I said, you may tell you why I'm doing that? Not because you're my boss, because he is. Now, me and him, me and my earthly boss can both benefit from that, and we do, but ultimately, my allegiance is to the Lord, and so when I'm working, I'm to work even in my daily chores, in everything I do as unto the Lord. So whatever you're doing, do it just like you're working for Jesus. Then he says in 1 Peter 3 and 1 that wives are to submit to their husbands. So Peter, all throughout this book of 1 Peter, he talks about submission. And the need for it. Now why does he say so much about that? Why does he teach submission over and over and over and over? I can only give you two reasons. First of all, because we are a part of the body. How many of you know in the word of God when it talks about the church, Paul uses the analogy of the body to represent what the church really is. He does it in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He does it again in, in Ephesians 1 and in Ephesians 2. 
He talks about the body of Christ. Now, how many of you know that Jesus is the head? He's the head of the body. 1 Corinthians 12 says that we are many members that make up one body. Now, how many of you understand that the head gives direction to the many members? And if the body is going to fulfill its purpose that comes from the head, all the members have to be in submission to one another. Let let, let me tell you what I mean. Let's just say that my head, in my head, I, I get the thought that I need to go over and pick this chair up. All right? That's in my head. My head gives direction to the rest of my members. Now, how many of you know, my left hand um, has to be in subjection or in submission to my right hand if they both are going to work together to pick up this chair. Can you say amen? Amen. Now, if my left hand is in submission to my head and my right hand is in submission to my head, then they both can work together to accomplish the purpose of picking up the chair. But now if my right hand, which is one member, is, in, uh, is fighting with my left hand, that is another member, now, now listen to me now, my right hand and my left hand are not in submission to one another, and if they're not in submission to one another, they're not in submission to what the head wants. To be in submission to what the head wants, you've got to be in submission to one another. Amen. If not... We're we're either going to struggle at picking up the chair, we're not going to do it as effectively as it needs to be done, or we're not going to do it at all, depending on how big the job is. Let me tell you why. Because all of us have to work together. That's why Paul says no member is any more important than the other. We just have different uh, gifts, different abilities, different talents that we come together and use so that we might glorify God and fulfill the mission of the head. But it takes submission. Each part working with the other. And let, let me tell you something I believe God does. I believe God gives me limitations and God gives you limitations for a reason. God gives me limitations in what I am and the giftings and the, and the ability that I have so that I need you to come alongside and help me. And God gives you limitations and what you can do so that then I can come alongside and help you. And he places everybody in the body right where they need to be so that his purpose might be fulfilled. Isn't that awesome? See, it's no accident that you're at Mount Zion Baptist Church. God has placed you here for a reason so that you might be used to accomplish the mission of the head. Amen. You, whoever you are, God can and wants to use you. And you're important to the body. I'm telling you. So we got to be in submission. you got to have a spirit of submission in these dark days that we live in. Let me give you the next one. We, almost, we also have to have a spirit of servitude. Look what it says there in verse number 6 of 1 Peter chapter 5. Or excuse me, verse number 5. Let's, let's finish that up, then we'll go to verse number 6. He says, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with. Let's stop right there for just a moment. He says, be clothed with. Now, that's, that word, that phrase there, be clothed with, actually means in the Greek to tie on a servant's apron. Now, let me ask you something. If you're going to wear an apron, what are you about to do? 
What are you about to do? You're about to do some work, ain't you? Yeah. There, there was a guy at my workplace today. He was, he was in the, the shop. I went into the shop this morning, talked to our mechanics about some things going on with my truck. I walked uh, past the welding booth, and I saw this brother over there with a big old leather apron on. Let me tell you what I knew. He was not wearing that apron because it was a, uh, a fashion statement. The reason he's wearing that apron is he's about to do some welding. He's about to do some work. And he didn't want all those sparks flying on his clothes. So you put an apron on because you're about to do some work. And so what's, what's the Bible telling us? You need to get your apron on and, and have a servant's heart and be ready to work. Amen. Let me tell you what we need more than anything else at Mount Zion Baptist Church. We need servants. We need servants. You me tell you what I found out? Everybody wants a spirit-filled church. Everybody wants a growing church. Everybody wants a great church. Everybody wants a, a church they can be proud of. But very few want to do what's necessary to make that happen. Statistics tell us today, right now in the Southern Baptist Convention, about 18% of church members do the work for the rest. 18%. 18% do the work, 18% do the tithing. Now, what you think about this right here? If that's true all over the Southern Baptist Convention, in all the 36,000 churches across the United States of America, that's not counting all the other churches, but it's probably true for them too. I'm just talking about the, the, the statistics I know about in the SBC. In all the thousands of churches all over the United States of America, 18% of people are doing the work and doing the tithing. What could happen if everybody got involved? What could happen if everybody got jacked up about serving Jesus? About really making a difference? What could happen right here if everybody got jacked up about doing something for the Lord? The other day, man, I asked a brother just to lead in prayer after service. He was overwhelmed. And he said to me, I'm just glad, glad God allowed me to do something. So you may think leading in prayer is a closing in prayer, beginning a service, and you may think that's a small thing. That's not a small thing. That's a huge thing. That's a, that's a great honor. Anything we can do for Jesus is a great honor. Amen. If you sweep the floor for Jesus, it's a great honor. Hey, you clean the bathrooms for Jesus, it's a great honor. You teach the Sunday school class, it's a great honor. You pray the prayer, it's a great honor. You sing the song, it's a great honor. Let me tell you why. We working for the King of Kings. Amen. For the one who saved us. So let's, let's, let's start serving. You've got to have a spirit of servitude. And that happens by humility. You know what that reminds me of when, when, when it says to put on a, a, a servant's apron? It reminds me of what Jesus did in John 13. You remember that? The Bible says he laid aside his robe and picked up the servant's towel and began washing feet. The God of all creation began washing some stinking, nasty, blistered-up, calloused feet. Now, surely if Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords, the Son of God and God the Son, if he can bend down and wash some stinking feet, surely we can serve in the nursery. Surely we can serve in children's church. 
Surely we can serve through the Wednesday night meal program. Surely we can serve as a prayer warrior. Surely we can serve as a Sunday school teacher. Surely we can serve as a pastor. If Jesus can serve, we ought to serve. Let me define for you humility and grace. Because the last part of verse number 5 is what he's talking about. What is humility? For years, this has been my definition that I've used. I didn't didn't come up with it. I read it somewhere else, but it's good. Not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. I think that's pretty good. See, I'm not about false humility. Let me tell you what I mean by false humility. I hear these people talking about, I'm I'm just a dirty old sinner. I tell you, I'm just a filthy rag. I know where people's coming from with that stuff. But let me tell you something else. If you've been born again, you're a child of God. You're an adopted son and daughter. You're an heir to God, joint heir with Jesus. Now, it certainly humbles me that God would allow me to be a part of his family. That I would be an heir to God. That certainly humbles me. I can't believe it. I'm overwhelmed and so very grateful that I got in on it. But I'm just saying, humility is not thinking less of yourself. How do you know the ground is level at the foot of the cross? I tell this to my kids all the time. I said, look, you don't have to put your, uh, you don't have to bow your head to no man. Nobody's better than them. There's a lot of people that's got more money than them, but nobody's better than them. There's a lot of people that probably wear better clothes than they do, but nobody's better than them. See, none of that stuff matters, really, because all that stuff is one day going to fade away. We're going to learn in 2 Peter that one day that's going to burn up with some fervent heat. Do y'all know that global warming is a real thing? It's coming in the future. It's not happening right now, but it's coming in the future, I promise you. The elements themselves at the atomic level, God is going to separate and decreate what he once created. Whew, I can't wait till we get there. But now I'm just saying, listen to me, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. You are no better than anyone else, but you are no worse than anyone else. We all stand in need of a Savior. There's none righteous, no, not one. Nobody seeks after God. We all need Jesus. So no matter what you might have or not have, or you don't have in this world, nobody's any better than you. You're more better than nobody else. You don't have to think less of yourself. But let me say this. If you're going to be humble, you ought to think of yourself less. It can't always be about you. Let me tell you something that'll change a marital relationship. When you don't think it's always got to be about you. When a wife thinks it's always got to be about her and it's always got to be her way or the highway, that's going to be a terrible, miserable relationship. 
when a wife or a husband is always, 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 it's always going to be my way, and if it ain't going to be my way, then I'm going to punish you. You're going to sleep on the couch. You ain't sleeping in the bed. I ain't going to give you much allowance next week as I gave you this week. Come on now. You start that junk, you're going to have a miserable lifestyle. Either way, whether it's coming from the husband or the wife. But when you get to the point where you realize in humility that I ought to think of myself less and put others before me and try to outserve one another, then you're going to have a marriage that God is pleased with and you really won't. And that's true with every human relationship. You know what? God is showing me and has shown me continually as a pastor I am to be a servant leader. I am no better than anybody else to serve anyone who needs it. Nobody is. Nobody is. It takes humility. But then the Bible says if you get humble, you receive grace. Now what is grace? Somebody give me a good definition for grace. Unmerited favor. That's a great one. I love that one. God's unmerited or undeserved favor that he shows to us through Christ. See, none of us deserve salvation. Let me tell you the problem with a lot of people in the modern church. They think they deserve it. They sit up on their spiritual high horse and look down on everybody else. They become the judges, the jury, and the executioner of everybody. You know those folks? You ever been around them? Boy, they'll bless you hard, I'm telling you. I'm just saying, none of us deserved it. If we all got what we deserve, we get a devil's hell. Every one of us. Praise God. He showed us grace. Praise Jesus. He did for us what we couldn't do. So yeah, brother, it's unmerited favor, and it's by grace we're saved through faith. But now listen, grace is not only that which saves us, but grace is also that which enables us. Grace is the ability to know and do the will of God. Wow. See, grace saves, but grace keeps. Grace keeps and it also enables. And it's by God's grace I know what God wants me to do. And it's by God's grace I do it. And only by God's grace. See, God has shown me some things I know I'm supposed to do. God has given me the great privilege and opportunity of being married to a lovely woman who loves me. And I know by the will of God, I'm supposed to be a husband that loves my wife as Christ loves the church. But I'm going to tell you something. I need God's grace to do that. Because in my flesh, I'll never get it done. God has given me the awesome privilege and opportunity of being a father to three children. But I know by God's grace that my job as a father is to raise them up and the nurture and admonish the Lord. But in my flesh, I'll never get it done. So I need God's grace. I know that God has given me the awesome privilege and opportunity of being the pastor at Mount Zion Baptist Church. And I'm to preach the word in season and out of season. I'm to be instant with what God has told me to do and please and glorify him in everything that's done. I'm to preach the gospel across the street and around the world. But I know in my flesh and my own ability I'll never get it done so I need God's grace. 
Amen. <laughs> There's some stuff you know too. But let me tell you something. In your own ability, and what you can do, you're never going to get it done. So I rest in and I rely upon God's grace. This week, Saturday morning, we're leaving for Cuba. And I'm excited about it. I'm fired up about it. Can't wait to get there and see those brothers and sisters in Christ and be a part of what I know God has planned for us. But I, I'll be honest. There's, there is also within me some uneasiness. Anytime you go to a place like that, there's uneasiness. Because, I mean, you never know what's going to take place. I'd be lying to you if I said... I wasn't uneasy. Now, it's better than it used to be. But they're still there. I know in my own ability, I'll never get it done, but by God's grace, I can do the will of God. Wow. And the good news is, He gives grace. Somebody say He gives grace. But listen to who He gives it to. He gives grace to the humble and resists the proud. So according to what the scriptures say, for us to receive the help needed to be what God has saved us to be, we've got to have humility. Let me tell you what else the Bible says right here. For us to receive the help needed to overcome the circumstances that enter our life, we need humility. Because in the very next verse, look at verse number 6 and verse number 7. Watch this. Humble yourselves therefore in the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Verse 7. Casting all your care upon him. Why? For he cares for you. But he says, first of all, you've got to humble yourself. See, you've got to humble yourself to cast your care on the Lord. Because if you don't humble yourself in your pride, you're going to say, I can handle it. Amen. I don't need nobody. I remember something that Dr. Jerry Vine said at a men's conference years ago. He said that whenever he first was called to preach and started pastoring his first church, he told the Lord he was going to be an individual. He was going to be unique or he wasn't going to do nothing at all. He wasn't going to be nothing at all. And he said it wasn't long until he found out that if he continued being an individual and unique, he certainly wasn't going to be nothing at all. And he's right. We need God's help. We need one another's help in fulfilling the ministry that God has given us. We need a spirit of servitude. That's true. We need a spirit of submission. That's true. But let me say something else. According to the seventh verse right here, we also need a spirit of serenity. Give me a definition for serenity. What's that mean? Who said it? Being sincere? Um, serenity, not sincerity. Peace. We got to have, in these dark days, a spirit of peace. Now, how are we going to get it? L let me tell you what. I think a lot of times happens. A lot of times we forfeit our peace as the children of God. Let me tell you why. Because we choose to worry. And it is a choice. We worry about everything. Everything. 
I had a brother tell me the other day, he said, man, I had to quit, just quit watching the news. He said, I quit watching it altogether because that, he said, how much that affects his thinking. He's right. Now, I'm not saying that you have to quit watching the news. I, I think we ought to stay informed as much as possible with good things. You know, there's no doubt about that. We can't just stick our head in the sand. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, if that's all you ever put in your mind is all the bad stuff that you see in the news in the newspaper, that's all you ever think about, you're going to sit around and chew your fingernails to the bone. Worrying about what might happen, what could happen, what maybe is going to happen, what's going to happen next week, next month, next year. Folks, none of us know that. And those talking heads on the TV screen don't know it either. Most of them probably know less than what you know and what I know. So you don't have to worry about all that stuff. As a child of God, let me tell you why. Because I know who daddy is. Amen. I know who daddy is. I remember one time years ago, I bought an international scout. Anybody ever seen an international scout? Anybody ever rode in one? Two people. You know why only two people ever rode an international scout? They wouldn't stay running long enough to ride anything else. Terrible. Terrible. Most, my most horrible decision I ever made in my life. I thought I had to have it. I went and bought it. Paid a lot of money for it. Good money for it. I went, on that, I went out riding that thing, me and my brothers. The first night I got that thing, took it all the way off in the backside of nowhere. Nowhere. And I hit second gear a little bit harder than what I thought I did with a four-speed transmission and tore the, tore the gear shift plumb off in my hand. And we all fought, and I'm talking about in the back 40 somewhere. And I was shook up. And my brother Clyde, I'll never forget it. He was just, man, he, he never worried about much of anything. He's happy-go-lucky, man. He's just long for the ride. He's still joking, laughing, and cutting up. I said, man, what in the world? I said, we out here in the middle of nowhere. I don't know how I'm going to get this thing home. He said, man, you're worrying too much. I said, why? He said, daddy's at home with the tractor. You know why he wasn't worried? He knew who daddy is. He knew what daddy had. He knew what daddy would do. I forgot it for a time being because my circumstance had changed. Does that ever happen to you? Your circumstance changes, you get worried and forget who daddy is, what daddy can do, what daddy has. Me too. We don't have to. The Bible says we can cast all our care upon him, upon daddy. Let me tell you why we put it all on daddy God. Because his shoulders are bigger than ours. Amen. And a lot of times the cares of this life get too big for me to carry. How about you? Man, when you've got a teenager, the cares of this life will get too big for you to carry real quick. I said, Lord Jesus, I need some help. I'm giving this to you. Hey, when you're a pastor of a church, I promise you, sometimes them cares get too big for you to carry. So I said, Lord Jesus, this is yours. It's not mine. I need some help. Cast it off on him. That's what he told me to do. And with that comes peace. But you've got to be willing to give it up. Amen. Whatever it is, you've got to be willing to give it up. Say, Daddy, I can't carry this anymore. 
Can't do it. I need your help. You'll run yourself stark raving mad worrying about junk that you don't have to worry about simply because you want to keep it and don't want to give it to daddy. Give it to daddy. Realize who he is. I heard a story one time about this man that was walking down old gravel road. Had a 50-pound sack of corn on his shoulder carrying it back to his house. He's walking down the road and another gentleman comes riding by him with a horse and buggy. And the guy on the horse and buggy stops. He said, man, get up here with me. He said, you ain't got to carry that. We'll haul it on this horse and buggy. And so he jumped up in there beside the man that was driving the horse. He sat down there and, and, and right beside him on the buckboard and he's riding down the gravel road again. And the man driving looked over at him and said, man, you don't have to keep carrying that sack of corn. The dude had carried this sack of corn all that way down the gravel road walk. And then when he got up in the buggy, he still had it on his shoulder. And the driver said, put that thing in the back. You don't have to carry that no more. He said, sir, I would hate to ask you to carry me and carry this sack of corn too. That's exactly what you do as a child of God when you live your life in worry. We trust Jesus to save us. Do you not think if he can save us, he can protect us? We trust Jesus to save us, but we don't trust him to provide for us. Don't you think if he can save us, he can provide for us? We trust Jesus to save us, but we don't trust him in the lives of our children or families, our workplace, our church, and we worry about everything when the Bible says plainly, cast it on him. Cast it on him. What time we got? That's time enough, ain't it? Scratch what I said a while ago. In two weeks, we'll finish up 1 Peter 5, then we'll go to 2 Peter. Anybody got any comments or questions? Serenity, peace. Peace is what he offers. Peace is what he gives. Peace is what you can have. Cast your care upon the Lord. Amen? Anybody got any comments or questions?